It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Aaron Gary the CEO of North America for Preserva, a fifth-generation family-owned company that recently turned 153 years old. Preserva is a global leader in the areas of weighing, labeling, slicing, and inspection, and their solutions can be found in a wide-ranging array of retail, industrial, and logistics customers. Aaron was born and raised in Kansas City and graduated from Ohio University in 1998 with a bachelor's degree in business administration. He currently resides in New Albany, Ohio, with his wife, Shauna, and their two sons, Evan and Ethan. In his free time, Aaron enjoys watching his sons play sports, exercising, and playing basketball and golf. Aaron Gary, welcome into the corner office. Thanks, Brent. Great to be here. I appreciate you uh, Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Well, wonderful to be here. We're just a, a couple of days before Christmas, although this is going to be released sometime early in the new year. So I uh, hope you and your family are in the spirit of things and enjoying uh, uh, the time off or hopefully the time off soon. Likewise, definitely. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Well, starting with family, we always like to start in the early years. Uh, Aaron, if you could just tell us a little bit about that, where you grew up and what your early family life was like. Yeah, I grew up in uh, Kansas City. Uh, I was born on the Missouri side and and grew up on the Kansas side, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of your prototypical Midwest, middle class, <laughs> suburban upbringing. Um, right. Mom, dad, two brothers. Um, pretty. Where were you in the pecking order? Older, younger, in the middle? I was the uh, I was the I was the first. I led the you're way, the so the oh, wow. so the oldest um, gap of of three years and actually 10 years between myself and my youngest brother oh yeah that's like myself my older brother i've got an older brother that's 10 years older so so in many ways uh kind of helping your parents raise the younger ones as well i'm sure to a certain degree I don't know if they they would agree with that, but but, but go ahead and think that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not all the babysitting, anyway. Exactly. What, is, what did mom and dad do? Professionals? Were they, you know, in the workforce? What were their professions? Mom was a teacher for a while, and then then professionally took care of us. <laughs> Sometimes that takes a lot of professional approach, uh, right? It is a it is a full time <laughs> job in itself, um, as we know as, as parents. Yeah, absolutely, right. absolutely. Uh, Dad was a uh, is was in the uh, insurance business. Okay, uh, owns a insurance agency in right. uh, North Kansas City, Missouri. A brokerage. Assume he's re- representing insurance companies, right? Correct, correct. Independent, right. Uh, independent yeah. agent. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, and uh, very entrepreneurial guy. Awesome. Uh, self-made, uh, really, really 
you know, we, and I think you'll ask me about who my inspirations are in my life, yeah. but he's, <laughs> go he's ahead. That was my next question. <laughs> number one and number, number one and number one, a, he, uh, he's, yeah. he's faced some obstacles and, uh, he's done a, he's done a heck of a job building, uh, a really successful small business in Kansas city and, awesome. and somebody I, I really look up to. What were some of those early lessons? Do you remember, you know, little tidbits of things that he said or things that he did that impressed you when you were growing up? I think one of the things about him, and I don't know that he necessarily would recognize it like I recognize it, but, but he really, he really built himself a solid network of people. And it, mm. it's not something so much that he said, but he, he always kept a lot of people close and, and, yeah had a network of people that he could tap into when he started his agency, mm. when he needed something to help grow his agency. He always seemed to have the right people to kind of shoulder tap and and get what he needed and and move things along. So so that's always that's a real important lesson, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the loyalty that people showed him and how he kept his network growing and tight. I think that's, that's really the biggest thing. Have you attempted to do the same as you've grown in your career? And I do. And, and obviously with the advent of, of LinkedIn and, yeah. and some of the other tools that are out there, it's, it's a little, it's a little more formalized. Sure. Um, but, but yeah, it's absolutely, it's absolutely a cornerstone of, of things I try and do. And, um, you know, it, it gets, it gets really hard when your contacts start getting into the thousands and you start talking about, sure. Um, a global network of people, but yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a, a cornerstone of how I do things. You know, it's important. It's important in business, but it's also important for social issues. You know, I, I've got a tip, a couple of different groups, peer advisories I'm a member of, and, you know, I kind of think of them as my non-executive board of directors, but sure. many of them are also there, you know, when tough times have hit, you know, sickness in the family or problems at home. And, you know, it's really nice to have uh, those guys you, and, and women you can lean on uh, with regards to that type of, uh, you know, those issues that come up on either side of your life no question no question yeah. were you a good student in school yeah i was pretty good um i was always pretty solid i i probably could have been i don't want to say spectacular but i could have been i could have been really good i'm sure you get that answer <laughs> i'm sure you get that answer a lot but it always it always came pretty easy to me i yeah, was uh yeah. i was really well-rounded and and read a lot so i had a pretty good handle on subject matter even before it came up um so i could do i could do pretty well without studying if i had right. If I had really applied myself, I'm sure it would have been. You a, probably were bored of some of the subjects, maybe this, that you didn't score so well in. Some of them, yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, I always, again, I, I scored pretty well across the board, but but yeah, it could have been could have been really good. What about outside of school? Sports, music, theater, anything you're involved with? Pretty much all sports, yeah. all the time. Um, you know, really, really growing up, competing and competition was kind of a a, a big thing in in our house, and and right. you know, sports was really what brought that out. Golf was a uh, golf was a big focus for me. I actually, yeah. played golf in college for a couple of years. Oh, you did great. I did. did. Yeah, I did. Were you recruited, or or was it just a club? Uh, sport? Yeah, I was recruited a couple places, awesome. and I chose to uh, to walk on at Ohio University. Okay, and actually played for two years. Yeah. Um, so so that was always that was always a good thing. And you you know coming back to networking and yeah. how you talk talk, talk about talk a great sport people. exactly yeah, right for social interactions and business for that matter. No, as well. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, but sports. Yeah, sports all the time. Yeah. Well, you mentioned dad was an entrepreneur. Were there entrepreneurial things that you did as a kid growing up? Sure. Yeah. I was always always thinking about how to make uh how to make my own money and, and not, <laughs> not that so extra much, pocket change. <laughs> yeah, but not even so much for money's sake, but just, you know, always thinking about how to accumulate and then sell mm -hmm. things. I, I remember having a, you know, a getting 
being a big baseball card collector and oh, then yeah. going in with my friends and trying to figure out how to sell doubles when we had duplicates and things like right. that. So, right. so fun. And, um, what about, uh, you know, outside jobs? Did you do the, the mowing of the lawns and the paper routes and those kinds of things as well? Or was it more, I did, I did it all. I was probably pretty, uh, uh, pretty, pretty aggressive in that, in that space. I was, uh, <laughs> I did, uh, telemarketing. So oh, wow. uh, trying to set up uh, water softener appointments, uh, American cancer society. I also worked at subway, uh, before before Subway was kind of a big franchise yeah, yeah. Uh, golf equipment store, I actually had one kind of one story I wanted to tell you if you if you had a second yeah, on, on working at Subway. I think it, it's a good kind of a good representation of of me and and my work ethic. I now, was, was, this, actually, was this high school or college? Yeah, so this was uh, my sophomore year of high school. So of high school, yeah. And I was actually at the golf course uh, practicing, and let's say it was two o'clock and I had to be at work at subway at four o'clock. So I'm just out there practicing and, um, a, a foursome comes through and one of the foursome dropped off. So there was only a threesome mm. and they were going from hold nine to hold 10. And for whatever reason, they couldn't go on without a fourth. Right. And so the threesome happened to be, and, and you may have heard of them, Derek Thomas, Lawrence Taylor, and Cortez Kennedy. You're kidding me. I, I kid you not. <laughs> and so they, they, they saw me hitting balls on the driving range and they said, can you join us as our fourth? Um, I said, yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to. But <laughs> and you knew where they were at the time. Of I, I did. I did. Yeah. And I knew they were in town for a, a charity Got golf it. event Got separate it. with the Kansas City yeah. Chiefs. And I said, but, yeah. but I, I have to tell you, I can't, I can't stay very long. I have to be at work at Subway right. In, right. in a couple hours. And, uh, you know, th th these, I, again, I, so I, I, I play for, but you're thinking nine, 10 holes. These guys are pros, you know, we'll get through it. And, uh... well, but I'm, I'm thinking more, okay, <laughs> I, this is going to be really fun. And this is going to be something I'm going to tell my kids about. Right. But at the same time, I'm, I'm trying to be responsible and, and sure. yeah. go to work at Subway yeah. and do what I'm commitment. supposed to do. Right. Exactly. So I net net, I played four holes with them and, and I stuck to it and I said, guys, I said, I, I know. I'd love to stay. I'd love to continue this, but I got to go to work. And and sure enough, I went off to work at Subway. So that's, that's great. That's it is great. kind of an interesting story. Wonderful story. I love it. Yeah. Well, was it a foregone conclusion that you'd go on to college, uh, Aaron? Yeah. What, what, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was. Mom and dad uh, had that expectation. Pretty much. I, it was. It was. Uh, and and I always wanted to go away too. I think that was right. all part of the college experience for me. So um, how did you how did you pick the college and the major? Uh, golf had something to do with it. I was yep. either going to go to the yep. university of Iowa and try and play golf, um, or go to Ohio university. And I went to Athens, Ohio and just fell in love with the place. Yeah. And, uh, I knew, Fantastic. I knew I was going to study business in some way, shape or form just because uh -huh. of kind of what my, where my interests lied. Um, did you help, and it was, help your parents fund that? Was that where some of the pocket money went or, you know, I did, did you have and, other and it's, yeah. I, I've always had a ton of respect for people that do and, and knowing the situation that people come out in now with, with the debt that they accumulate and, and working that off. Oh, it's horrendous. Um, yeah. I think I was really lucky in that respect. And I'm, I'm, you know, actively trying to do the same for my kids. I'd love to not have them in that right. situation. So what was the first job out of college? First job out of college was actually at a insurance company. Oh. Um, 
because I thought I might want to go Following into your that dad's line footsteps. Of, yeah, right. correct, correct. And it was absolutely the worst decision I could have made. <laughs> hey, Just that's a, a good thing to learn when you're early on, though. Absolutely. Right, first, I tell first, people all the time: if you're young, go experiment, go do jobs you think you want to do, and it's a great lesson to learn. You don't want to do it. <laughs> it's a really salient piece of advice. I mean, go, go, go with the first one out, and then then get things on track. And, and I was, they had me doing data entry and it was, it was really your, your prototypical entry level job out of college. And it, it wasn't was, with dads. Uh, no, 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 no. It was another broker or it was, yeah, it was, it's actually the, on the company side and oh, it was abs- side, the, uh, absolutely yeah, brutal. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that didn't last long. And it then uh, how did you decide to go in the next uh, career direction? You know, I think y- y- you just know, deep down, um, especially at that age, you're a little more, you're a little more flexible when it comes to finances and, and not so tied down with obligations, obviously. And, and you can, you can be a little bit more flexible in, in making those kind of moves. So it was, uh, it actually wasn't a hard decision and (laughs) I think I, I think I handled it well. So tell me about the time you first started managing people. Yes. Uh, it was pretty natural for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, my, I think my style is such that, that, People are attracted to it, and and they want to excel. I uh, uh, a lot of the all my pretty much all my management experience has been with uh, with Bizerba, and right. uh, was that the kind of where you really got started in the in the broad range of larger organizations? Yeah, for the well, for, I was with a company called Hinkle, which I would right. I would say is similar to the European Procter and Gamble. Yeah, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so so really, there was really where. I kind of had a, a global focus, but, but yeah, really with Bizerba's were, where the exposure to that came in. Yeah. Any good early management lessons that you learned in those early days when you're cutting your teeth, uh, you know, having people work for you, probably a few that were maybe older than you as well. Oh, absolutely. I yeah. yeah. I, I think the biggest thing for me is I, I ran myself out of gas, um, mm. worrying about every single detail oh, yeah. and not trusting my own people, the, the right. people that, you know, either I or somebody else had hired to do or into a certain role for a certain reason. Yeah. Um, really not trusting their skill set and trying to do everything on my own and, and sweating every single detail. Right. Um, that that got me to a certain point in my career, but then at a certain point I needed to kind of back off and and that was really hard for me to do. Yeah. Yeah. Were there any kind of um salient moments, either maybe from previous bosses or uh, even employees where you kind of had, you know, the knowledge that, hey, this needs to change? Yeah, I think I think some of the things that, you know, some of the the good things, some of the bad things, I think really how you how you let people do their job, whether you micromanage, um, you know, I, I, I really am a big believer in not micromanaging. You know, mm-hmm. we we go through the hiring process and we pick certain people for certain reasons and give them certain responsibilities. Right. And, and I just think it's best to, to, you know, manage from the, I don't want to say manage from the shadows, but I really look at myself as the safety net for people. So, um, you know, if, 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 if I see somebody is headed in a direction that they shouldn't be, I can kind of guide from the background and, and make subtle suggestions. But for me to be, you know, in the daily, hourly, minute by minute, trying to to give direction and things like that. that that's a. It's not my style, and b. It doesn't right. work very well for me. Yeah, right. Um. Right. So so really, that's the that's the the best managers I've had are the ones that 
they, they provide the direction, they provide the structure, and then they let me go do what I do best. Um, on the flip side, the worst ones are the ones that, that try and micromanage everything. Well, you've had a very interesting career, and we don't see this too often, where someone who has come to a company, and you were there about six years, I think, right? Yep. You had varying degrees of uh, leadership positions there, and then left uh, for mm -hmm. a couple of years, and then came back. So so first of all, tell us a little bit about what attracted you to Bizerba uh, in those early days. I think that was right after Hinkle, was it not? Yeah. You left yeah. Them? yeah. It was, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, when I look at Bizerba, it's a really, you know, if you talk about, if you talk about culture. It's a really unusual, but yet very appealing and very special culture mm. to me specifically. It's it's old line. It's a 153-year-old German family-owned company right. and really with a mesh of, of blue-collar and white-collar workers that are in an old line industrial space, but also in this, in this new technology-driven retail space. Mm. So you get you get kind of a little bit of everything and it's a, it's a family owned organization. So it has our, our owner, Andreas crowd is a fifth generation, um, wow. fifth generation family owner. And, and he's a special guy um, who really takes special care in, in the company and making sure that it's going to pass from generation to generation. And, sure. and it's, it's just a, it's a really special place. And I knew, I knew when I left the first time I had to leave because of, travel requirements and some other right. family stuff that was going yeah. on. But the minute I left, I knew I had, I don't want to say I made a mistake, but I was very regretful of it yeah. because yeah. it's really home for me. And, right. and I, I can't say enough good things about it. So did Aaron contact you when you came back or did you reach out to them? Andreas. Um, Andreas. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Um, our, so our North American CEO actually reached out to me um, with the eyes on a succession plan right. as he knew kind of what his plans were several years down the road. Right, right. So through that process is how they reached back out to me and expressed interest in me coming back. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, is this a subsidiary that they started up? Was it a company that they purchased? I mean, given that it's been a fifth generation company, they've been around a while and I don't think Bezerb has been that long in the U.S. or has it? Uh, so it's, I want to say it's about almost close to 40 years old in the U S oh, right. and cool. they started organically, but also grew through acquisition. Got it. Um, so it's, it's really been uh, long story short, it, it, it's really come together in, in a lot of different ways by buying, um, on the label side, we bought a couple different label companies on the industrial right. side. We bought an industrial automation company, but on the retail side, it was a little more organic. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And uh, is um, uh, he involved, is Andreas involved on a day-to-day -day basis? Does he come over frequently? You know, is the U.S. business a big part of the overall portfolio? How do you, know, how do you kind of fit within their uh, broader company? That's a great question. We're actually, I think we're probably the fastest growing um, subsidiary that we've got. And Andreas is over uh, roughly, I would say once a quarter, very yeah. active day-to-day. -day. Um, we talk all the time. Uh, we actually have quarterly uh, regional management meetings, so I'm over there quite a bit. Trade shows, things like that. He's right. he's very actively involved, and and you know I always I always say there's nobody there's nobody better to come close a deal in the uh, in <laughs> right. in the 
at least in the U.S., I if if I need if I need a closer to come in, I, I'm pretty good. But there's nobody better than him. He's, he's, he's really you, spectacular. Yeah, on he's, a he's plane and come very over. versatile and yeah. Excellent. Is the U.S. a big part of the overall business, or um, you know, is there other multiple you know op- operations in different countries? You know, how, how do you fit in within the puzzle? Yeah, so Germany's the biggest. If you go over to Germany, you're gonna you're gonna see Bezerba everywhere. Um, you know the the butcher shops, the retailers, right, the industrial right. plants. They are they are a household name in Germany. So right. that's that's gonna be our biggest our biggest market. Yeah. Um, most of Western Europe is pretty big as well, but the U.S. is we're we're right there, kind of one and two with Germany. Yeah. Um, always kind of jockeying for position. So it, and- it is to answer your question. Yes, it's a big part. Well, very exciting and how wonderful to have that type of relationship where you've been asked back. T- today, how many employees? I know you're privately held, so you can't tell me sales, but maybe just give us a little bit of the scope of the business. Yeah, roughly 400 in North America. Nice, nice, great. And uh, headquarters there in Columbus with you or where where is your executive team? No, so uh, headquarters uh, for the U.S. business is Joppa, Maryland, outside okay. Baltimore, right. Mississauga for the Canadian business and Mexico City for the Mexican business. Wow, wow. And then do you have executive teams in each of those locations? Yes. How are you structured in that regard? Yes, and, and I, as you can imagine, travel quite a bit to those locations, to customers, to trade shows. Right. Um, right. I have a very, I have a very special and understanding wife. <laughs> I would think so. Right. Yeah. And just those three offices then, or do you have manufacturing facilities in other locations? So those would be the, those would be the three offices where we have the main back office functions. We yeah. also have, um, label manufacturing in Boucherville, uh, Quebec, and, um, we have an engineering office in Richmond, Virginia. Yeah. Awesome. For the U.S. So you've been, I guess, just a little shy of two years coming up in February, uh, right? When you were pr- promoted to February uh, president and CEO. Is that correct? It'll be two years. So, yeah, and I will be taking over uh, North America January 1st. Hey, so, congratulations. Yeah, Fantastic. So thank continue you. to expose that. So, so looking back, you know, how would you say your leadership has evolved over time, Aaron? I think I've probably become less emotional, if that makes sense. I'm, sure. I'm much steadier. Um, I don't get, I don't get near as high on the highs or low on the lows. I, um, I used to, I used to probably have more peaks and valleys, um, in, in my leadership style. I think now, I think now I'm a little bit flatter, uh, per Mm -hmm. se. I'm also, I'm also much more face to face with the business. Not that I wasn't before, but I really think it's important because we're so spread out and, and so many things that we do are, are remote. I'm really trying to be in front of customers more, in front of our people more. You know, the, the, as you know very well, um, acquiring talent, retaining talent is, is probably the biggest challenge that I face Absolutely. today. Absolutely. And, and Particularly I really with 50 want year on unemplo- 50 year low unemployment. Correct. You know, it's, correct. It's, uh, and, and, and I, you know, again, I, 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 I make a special effort to hire the people that we do hire. So once they're hired, there's obviously significant expense involved. There's significant effort involved. I want to, sure. I want to be in front of them and make sure they're engaged, make sure they're satisfied, making sure they're getting what they they need. So, um, you know, you talk about evolutional leadership style, that's really become that that's really a new piece of this is really staying in front of the employees and, yeah. and really trying to engage with them face to face. And then trusting them to do the job Absolutely. that they need to do, as you mentioned earlier. You, you talked a little bit about micromanagement and, you mm-hmm. know, there are times, of course, when you do need to do so. How do you decide when it's time to get, you know, more involved or, or stay out of the sandbox, so to speak? 
So I try and I try and structure the business. You know, I'm always trying to have planning meetings um, and trying to communicate with our people. But really, mm-hmm. if you if you ask me, you know, Aaron, when do you when do you jump in and when do you jump in at first? It's it's a combination of dollar impact, employee satisfaction, customer experience, or the brand. So enhancing the brand or protecting the brand. If if anything, if any of those four factors is, right, is significantly involved, that's when I that's when I go in head first. Makes good sense. I, I heard it recently said that it's better to have your answers questioned than your questions answered as a CEO. Mm. Have you been in a situation where that uh, where you experienced that? Yeah, I mean, I I. You know, I guess when you say that, I, I definitely, I definitely want people who challenge me the way I try and challenge them. Yeah, I, I think that's good. Again, I, I really, I really pride myself on hiring good people and making out of the box hires. So there's, there's a reason I'm putting those people in the positions I'm putting them in. Right. And if I'm not taking their input into account or it's falling on deaf ears, shame on me. Um, right. Because because there's a reason I put those people into place. Yeah, no, that's absolutely clear. And, uh, you know, obviously in terms of kind of building out your organization, you know, you, you want to surround yourself with smart people, right? And being no in a situation where you've got folks that are, are questioning some of those things, uh, I've always found it to be very helpful. You know, we do a lot of interviews for executive suite and, you know, the more curious someone is and the more, you know, kind of challenging they be to the status quo, not necessarily in a bad way, but in, right. you know, why are things working that way? Couldn't it be done better? You know, that's always a sign of someone that's got a lot of initiative and a lot of leadership. You, you spoke about company culture a little bit earlier, and I can imagine as as, as old as Bezerba is in the U.S. and 40 years here, there was a very well-established culture. One, of course, that you were attracted back to, uh, to, to step in and eventually take over the leadership role. How do you kind of build on that moving forward? You know, now you're in the CEO suite, you're now taking over North America. You know, ha- what do you do or what are your thoughts about building a company culture on top of what already exists? I think the the biggest thing for me as I come into this is is we have a we have a strong culture, we have a strong customer base, uh, we have good employee engagement. The mm. one thing that that I think I can add to this now in my new role is communication. Um, I think right. I think we have we have employees that are kind of craving to know why things work and and mm. how things are going and and things like that. And and maybe as a management team in the past we we've we've had some challenges in doing that. In, in communicating that to our people. And I think that's really priority one for me right now is to really engage our, our community mm. as a whole um, and our employees and, and make sure that they're part of the process and that they understand why they do what they're doing when they come to work every day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Being that example of good communication amongst others. Yeah. yeah. What, what would you say is maybe unusual or unique about your company culture? Again, you know, fourth, fifth generation, is it fifth or fourth generation? Fifth, fifth. right. Yeah. Fifth. And, uh, Again, I, there, there's just not, you know, I, I see, I see companies that are second, third generation, but, but boy, they're, they're at the end of their rope at that, yeah. at that point in time. Right. I mean, we're fifth generation rolling strong with a, with a, a global owner that's, that is, is engaged. He absolutely. I mean, engaged yeah. is, is too light of a word is, is, is his <laughs> sister, Angela, sister yeah. Angela is the VP of finance and, and she's involved and it is, it, it will, it will absolutely go a six. Um, yeah, that's great. and it, it's, it's really fun to be a part of. Well, you know, the, 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 
numbers on that, the odds on that are so low. I think so the low. statistics are as only, I think a third of companies make it to the second, 13 make it to the third, and only 3% make it to the fourth. Yeah, that's, and, uh, you know, that and so pyramid it, has to beyond be, uh, that. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're, you know, less than 1%. So that's, that's pretty awesome. So, so bringing people into the organization is important. You know, what do you look for, uh, Aaron, when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire? So I think the, the the couple biggest things for me are, are well-roundedness. I really, mm. I really like well-rounded people. Yeah. Um, I think how do you, that, how do you define that? What does that look like to you? Just, and again, it, you know, comes back to the, the interview process when I'm talking to somebody in a conversational way and, and they can, they can go a level deeper on a variety of subjects, whether it's sports, arts, business trends, history. I can, I can tell that, they're open to new ideas and that they can talk to a wide variety of people about a wide variety of subjects. Mm. That's a really a big one for me. Um, mm. you know, I, I know that that person not only can do the, the, the job that we're looking at them for, but that's somebody that we can open up a lot of different opportunities for and that they're open to those opportunities and will be successful yeah. at. Yeah. So, so well-roundedness is a huge one. Work right. ethic, loyalty, um, those, I would say those are the big, the biggest ones. Are there specific questions that you like to ask in interviews where you can, you know, kind of get a handle on any one or more of those issues? Yeah. I mean, I, not, I, I wouldn't say I have a, we, we do have a set list of interview questions per se, but right. I, you know, don't tell my HR people, but I tend to go <laughs> off script. I tend to go off script a little bit and go yeah. more into a two-way conversational open-ended question type of format where I dig into things that'll tell me about work ethic, how well-rounded a person is, mm. um, whether they're loyal. I, I also, I also like to get opinions of kind of my key people on my management team. I think right. that's the other thing when I'm, when we're interviewing, I want to do, you know, get their opinions, have kind of a collaborative approach on, on candidates and, and also sometimes take quantitative measures. So maybe score the candidates or, or who we're interviewing on a, right on a one to five scale on a variety of topics. Yeah. Yeah. Do you get involved in interviews, you know, a level below your direct reports? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And what do you look for in those? Is it, does it change at all? You know, maybe if you only have five or 10 minutes with someone, you know, what would you zero in on? Yeah. I, um, you know, when it, when it comes to those, it's really, I, I hate to say I'm rubber stamping it, but if, if, if my direct reports have already, they'll generally bring that person to me after they've made the decision. Right. Um, and, and they want kind of my stamp of approval on it. And in those that, that is even more conversational. I'll, we'll talk right. about, right. you know, what exposure to, well, I'll actually go a little more deeper into, into pure subject matter. What customers are you, you know, are you exposed to? Do you know, John Smith, do you, you know, understanding, understanding their depth on, on certain positions. And, and, you know, if it's a salesperson, I generally know all the customers and, and all the people at the customer. So do they know those people and just kind of validating some of the things that my direct reports have told sure. me and just, just yeah. making sure that the person is who they say they are. Yeah. So. Awesome. Well, Aaron, this has been terrific. We always have one last question. We always ask our guests and, you know, what kind of career and life advice would you give to someone that has their own eyes on the corner office? Yeah, I think uh, just a couple quick things. I think the first thing is be patient. Um, mm. You know, I've probably the you, you look at my background. I've jumped around a little bit, and and not it, much, it, <laughs> not not much, but it takes time. I mean, this is right. you 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 can't. I know the 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 millennials, and we all 
I'm probably one of these old people now that talk about the millennials and how they do things <laughs> and they want things, you know, they want to be the CEO and they come out of, out of school. And it just, this, this takes time. It, I would say, be patient, be loyal, um, go the extra mile, do things that stand out. I think that was a big thing for me, really trying to, to embrace strategic initiatives. So, you know, if, if Hinkle had something that they really wanted to get out to the market, I wanted to be the person to embrace it. Same with Bezerbo. You know, we have a, a lot of different solutions out there and, and I always want to embrace the solutions that, that, you know, our people are putting their time, their effort, their resources into. Um, I think that's an important thing, mm. even if you don't necessarily agree with them. Yeah. I think it's important to embrace those things. Right, right. Well, terrific. Well, Aaron Gary, CEO of Bezerba US, soon to be CEO of North America, I guess with by the time this podcast is heard, yeah, it will be. You. Once again, congratulations. And thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. I appreciate it. Thanks, Brent. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.